0: Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, CanoyChurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I think- today's sermon is going to feel more like testimony than a sermon. Because if I'm totally honest, I've had a terrible week. <laughs> um, and I know others here have too. It's um, When it didn't really start great, and as it went on, I felt like it got worse and worse. Some of you guys know bits and pieces of my week, and some of you guys have to take my word for it, but... You know, one of the other things that was really frustrating to me in particular was, you know, each time I sat down to read, or study, or write um, in preparation for this morning, the more I, I kept getting interrupted. Every single time, and it, it wasn't it wasn't little things. it wasn't like I, distracted by a, a squirrel out the window or something. It was it was big deal things. It was important things. It was the, the things that you know matter. It's the things that take priority and precedent over reading, studying, and writing. And the closer this morning came, the more frustrated I was feeling about being unprepared. And after the kids got to bed last night, I finally had some moments to myself. And, and we have been doing this series on purpose. Um, next week is our last week on purpose. And we're doing it based on the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. So last night, I sat down and I got the book out and I wanted to finish the chapter that I had not finished prior. And um, when I opened it up to the section that, that I was, I'd stopped at, the first thing I read was, were these words, and, and maybe you can relate. It said, are you available to God anytime? Can he mess up your plans without you becoming resentful? As a servant, you don't get to pick and choose when or where you will serve. Being a servant means giving up the right to control your schedule and allowing God to interrupt it whenever he needs to. That didn't hit me right where I was at when I read it. Um, I've said many times, I don't stand up here because I have it all figured out and I'm perfect. Far from it. I don't even always have words for hard weeks. I don't even always have words for weeks where it just feels like it's a snowball. It gets a little bigger with every day. John Wesley is a name you might recognize. He's one of the founders of the Methodist faith, and John Wesley's theology is a a pretty influential theology for the Brethren in Christ denomination. And John Wesley said these words. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And some days, that's that's more than we can ever hope for. Um, This morning, it feels a little disjointed to me, um, but I'm just gonna try and go with where I think God has led me this morning. And I'm going to encourage you guys to pull a Bible out of the pews or open up your, your phone, your Bible app, whatever you guys use, and go to Isaiah 55. As I thought through this morning and I thought through, um, as, I, as I sat down last night and I thought through this morning and I thought through where my heart was at and I thought through purpose and, and I read this This paragraph, this tiny little paragraph about God messing up your schedule, my, my heart went to Isaiah 55, and, and, and it went to a small portion of Isaiah 55, but I don't want to just go and cherry pick a verse out of Isaiah 55, I don't think that that's fair, and honestly I think there's something in this chapter for all of us this morning, I'm trusting that there is. And so I want to read the chapter. And, um, and maybe what stuck out to me will stick out to you. Or maybe some other part of it is going to be the thing that really captures you this morning. But what I'm going to do is trust that the Spirit is here with us today. And that these words will find root somewhere in your heart and your spirit so isaiah 55 I'm sorry I feel ridiculously emotional so <clears throat> it starts this way verse 1 come all you who are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money, come by and eat. And I want you to just think think of these words, like I want you to hear them as though God is the one that is speaking these things to you. It's his voice that says to you, Come, all who are thirsty. And in some translations it says, Come all who are thirsty for joy, or come all who are thirsty for happiness. And in mine it just says, Come all who are thirsty. That's the prerequisite right there. If you're thirsty, come. And and then he invites you too. he says, look, I want you to eat. I want you to have your fill. And if you don't have money, that's not going to stand in the way. Everybody's welcome here. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. If you don't have money, come and eat. He says, come by wine and milk without money and without cost. It's a promise to us that God is going to make a way. God has made a way. I mean, think about the songs that we sang this morning. God continues to make a way for every single one of us to come to him. This invitation to come is extended to every single person. The only prerequisite is that you're thirsty. You don't need to have money to get whatever he's offering. He makes a way aside from that. But then he says, he asks this question, he says, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Which is like one of the most paramount questions that we as humans get stuck on. We labor and labor and labor for things that seem to give us the promise of life but do not give us life and, in fact, often give us death. We spend our money on things that promise us life but often are the things giving us death. And so he asks, why do you spend your money on something that promises that it's bread but it's not really bread? It promises you life but it doesn't give you life. Why do you work so hard for things that don't even satisfy you? And God says, "Listen, listen to me and, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. What what God is offering to us is not." a bait-and-switch. It is not something that promises to be bread and turns out that it's not. It's not something that promises life and turns out that it gives us death. He's promising us something else, and in fact, this thing is good. It is good. When God made the earth, he said it is good, and then he made more, and he said it is good. This thing that God offers, this thing that he makes, it is good. good. And while bread feeds your body, bread does not feed your spirit. It does not feed your soul. But whatever God is offering to us, it feeds our soul. Our soul will delight in the richest affair. And then verse 3, says, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. And those stick out to me, those words stick out to me because the first thing he says is, Come, right? It's the invitation, come. If you're thirsty, come. If you don't have money, don't worry, come. It's the invitation, come. And then he says, give your ear to me. Listen to me. That's the second thing. So first is come. This next thing is listen. Whatever God has for us this morning, whatever he has for you this morning, whatever's gonna stick out from this text this morning, he's saying, listen. That's the next step, is just hear what I have to say. If you hear me, I'm gonna give you something, this thing that's gonna feed your soul, the richest affair, and it will give your soul life. If you come, if you listen, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David And if you don't know who David is, this is referencing King David from the Old Testament. King David, who when God decides to call King David up to be the king, to anoint him as the leader of Israel, he says that I'm calling someone who's going to be a man after my own heart. This is somebody who's going to chase my heart. David made many mistakes. He's far from a perfect man, and sometimes we elevate him too high because of the mistakes that he's made. But hear me, there's no doubt when we read through the Psalms and when we read through David's life that there was a very real love between God the Father and David. Back and forth, over and over, God spared him and guided him and called him back when he left. And David continued to get on his knees over and over and over and repent for the things that he had done, for the choices that he had made. There is no doubt that there is a covenant of love between them. And so as Isaiah writes these words, as God is saying these words to him, as he's saying them to you this morning, this covenant that he is promising to you is an everlasting covenant, and the love is of the depth of the love of David and God. That, that is a promise to you if you will just come and give ear to God this morning. He says in verse four, he says, See, look at David. I've made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations that you know not and nations that you do not know will hasten to you. Yesterday I did a wedding. uh, And and in the the sermon part of the wedding, I was using a verse from Ecclesiastes that talks about how um, three strands in a cord are better than two. Three strands are not easily broken, as easily broken as two. And and the point that I was trying to tell the couple in the message and, and of course, the people who had gathered as well is that that third cord is God, right? In a marriage, in a marriage that is good, in a marriage that is strong, in a marriage that is centered around God, the third strand is God in the marriage. That's the third strand that won't break. That's the third strand that goes beyond the best friendships of the world. That's the strand that when we get angry with one another, and we want to walk away from one another, the third strand steps in and says, no, no, no. Because your marriage is more than just a friendship. Your marriage is more than just a piece of paper. Your marriage is a reflection of my love for the church. And as as I shared those words with this couple, I said, if you can devote your marriage to God, if God can be your third strand, you might be unbelievably surprised by how God uses your marriage, not just to bless you, but bless marriages around you as well. And here in Isaiah 55, God's words are saying to us, I'm gonna provide this covenant for you. Use David as an example, the kind of love and covenant that I had with David. I lifted him up, and because I lifted him up, He was an example to the world. He was an example to the nations, and nations they didn't even knew came to him. When we have this sort of covenant with God, God does something in us, we are actually working on behalf of Jesus to those around us. Much of the time, you may have no idea what God is doing through you with the people around you. You may think that you're just living your life You might even be focused on making your choices, living your life, taking the next right step, having no idea that there's a person next to you, and every step you take in God's name is making a huge difference to them. So when we come to him and we make an everlasting covenant to him, when we have the faithful love that he promised to David, surely you will summon nations that you know not nations that don't know you will hasten to you you will make a difference in the world and in the lives of the people around you so far this has been very personal the words of God to us in this text is personal. And right here, it goes way beyond personal. And suddenly, we're concerned with the world. Suddenly, we're looking outside of ourselves now. It's not just a covenant between you and God. It's a covenant between you and God that's going to affect everything, everyone around you. That's the goal. That's the hope. But I stopped on a comma. I don't know if you noticed that. He said, the nations will hasten to you. And there's a comma there, not a period. What's the next part of this say? It finishes out in verse 5 says, because of the Lord your God. Not because of you. They're not making the huge difference in the world around you because you're so awesome. David wasn't a king that we remember because David was so awesome. Left to his own devices, David murdered, committed adultery, among other things. It's because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. This whole series thus far, we've been talking about being shaped, being crafted, being created, being molded by a creator, that there's this universal creator, there's this architect behind all that happens. You have been shaped for a reason, for a purpose, and right here, it tells us That this holy one of Israel, God, has endowed you with splendor. Before the foundations of the world were laid two weeks ago, I said, God chose victor in love. He endowed victor with splendor. And you, with splendor. For he has created you for a purpose. The splendor that he has put in you, the breath of God breathed into you, the spirit of God, the pneuma, the ruah that has been breathed into you, that splendor makes you a witness to the world around you. That splendor guides you home to a covenant of love with God. If only you will listen. And if only you will come. When we come to God, the, the job isn't over. That's the beginning, right? It's not the end, it's the beginning. Sometimes in the church world, we think of coming to God as the end. Oh, we did it! And then we drop somebody because they, they say the prayer or they come to Jesus or whatever it is. But that's the beginning not the end and this next part here verse six and seven isaiah changes from this invitation to come and he reminds us that we have a job and part of the job that we have is to repent he says seek the lord while he may be found call on him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts let him turn to the lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. When we seek the Lord, it is never empty to seek. When we call on the Lord, it is never empty to call on the Lord, for the Lord is always near. But we must repent, we must change our ways. In the parts of us that do not look like Jesus, we must walk away from. This idea of forsaking the wicked way is is quite simple oftentimes we talk about repentance right we talk about how repentance means you're going one way you turn the other way but this idea of forsaking is really getting at the idea that that you need to walk away from something so consider two paths before you and one path may be your way it may be what you want it might be the world's way it might be something that somebody else told you and this other way is is god tugging on you calling on you guiding you to something So we take the path towards God and we forsake the other path. If you've ever gone hiking, you come to a fork in the path. Once you take one of those roads, you don't get that fork again. So we forsake this path to take God's path. We walk away from that path, not looking back on it. And when we take this path, we may be confident that when we turn to the Lord's path, he'll have mercy on us and he freely pardons us. Verse eight says, again, God speaking to us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I think that this could often be the thing that we struggle the most with. Doesn't doesn't matter who you are, Everybody wants to know the plan. Everybody wants to ask the question why and have a good answer as to why. Every smart scholarly person that I've ever read who's ever written about the Bible, they're theorizing. They're hypothesizing. They have a partial picture because nobody here on earth, nobody here in the flesh has eternal eyes like God has. Imagine a wall down the center of this room and all of you on this side, you see this side of the room and you see these drapes and wall hangings and flowers on the window. You look out the window and you see woods and, and over here, you guys are seeing something else. You don't know what they're seeing. They have, do they have curtains? What's out their window? Is it woods? Is it something different? Do they get more light, less light? You wonder, what's going on? You don't know. You can't know because there's a wall between you. You can speculate. You can hypothesize. You can guess what the other side might see. But there is one who stands upon the stage and sees both sides of the room and knows, oh, there's a road out there and there's woods out there. There's curtains on both sides. There's people on both sides. There's good wonderful human beings that I've created on both sides. There is one who has eternal eyes. There is one who can say, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, because your thoughts and your ways are finite, and I'm infinite. Your ways are tied to the earth. Mine are to heaven. There is one who goes beyond what we can know and what we can see. And so even though we want to know the answer, even though we want to, we, we beg to know why. What is the plan? Why would you do this? There is, there is a part of us. There is, a, there is a mystery of our faith where we can have confidence that there is one who does have a plan. There is an architect. There is a reason. But we don't always get to know it. But there is one who we can have faith in, one who we can trust, who does have a reason, who does understand. Verse 10 says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. I thought long and hard about this as I read this last night. It still goes with our desire for a plan and our desire for understanding. Do you know why I like to mow grass? Because when I get done mowing a yard, I can look back and I can see I did something. You know? I, I can see if the lines are straight or not. I, I, can, I can see that what was once long is now short. I can smell what once smelled just like the outside now smells like freshly cut grass. I can look back and know that i did something and there's something in my my spirit that 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 checks off a box for me because you know most of my life is not like that most of your lives aren't like that so much of what we do we never know the impact of so i want you to 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 picture what what isaiah is trying to get you to picture I want you to picture the rain clouds moving in over a farmer's field. I want you to picture those rain clouds getting full and heavy of precipitation, and then a drop of rain falls from the clouds down to the earth and it begins to nourish the ground. Long after that raindrop is gone, long after it is seeped into the ground, what happens? But buds are produced, buds are nourished. What happens, but seeds grow. And long after the buds are nourished, long after the seeds grow, there is somebody who comes along and harvests it and and makes it into bread and gives it to someone, maybe a child, to have a snack. And long after those raindrops and rain clouds are gone, there's a child eating bread. And the raindrop has no idea all that it provided. my ways are not your ways my thoughts are not your thoughts it's like rain and snow falling from the sky and caring for the earth long after the rain is dry and the snow is melted the earth goes on and the plants grow we harvest and sow and reap and we eat and all of that is to tell us god says so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The raindrop and the snow accomplished something. It was never void. It never went unnoticed. It never, the ground didn't go unnourished. When God's word comes from us, whether it be from here or from here, whether it be in your study, whether it be in a Bible study, whether it be in a random conversation with somebody at work, when God's word is spoken, when God's word goes out, it is never returned void. It has a purpose. God has placed a purpose upon it, and that purpose will be achieved. We just may not always see the achievement. And I think God knows that that's hard for us. And I think that's why he ends the chapter the way he does. In verse 12, he, he starts out with this sort of this beautiful picture, he, and he's painting for us. He says, you know, he, he starts with an invitation, come. Just, all you gotta be is thirsty. You don't even need money, just come. If you come to me, I want a relationship with you. I wanna, I wanna invest in a relationship that's based in love, a covenant that will last forever. And when you come and you enjoy that covenant, know that you need to walk away from the wicked ways. You need to take my path. Forsake the wicked way. Walk away from it, not to go back to it, and follow me. And remember that as you follow me, despite the ups and the downs, despite the hardships, my ways aren't your ways. My ways are eternal, not finite you're going to want to know what those ways are you're going to want to know what you're doing what seeds you're planting what ground you're watering and i know you're going to want to know but you may never so instead i'm going to give you something you'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. We're given this beautiful picture This beautiful picture that's meant to inspire hope and love and care. It's meant to say, look, I I know that you're gonna want this, but this is better for you, and even though you want this and I'm giving you this, I'm gonna wrap you with this. This beautiful picture, this beautiful vision. What have we said for several weeks? We've said God has a purpose for us all, and he's gonna use all that we go through all that we've struggled with. He's going to use every single raindrop. God's word's never going to come back void. And this whole thing is a mystery, if we're completely honest. It's a mystery outside of our faith. It's a mystery that we don't understand, but but it, but it demands our faith in it. And the simple statement I gave you several weeks ago, the one that it sits in the bottom of my email always is, Nothing, no experience is wasted in the economy of the kingdom. Nothing, nothing is wasted. So this week, I lost my friend. You lost a friend. We all lost a brother. Victor was a staple of this congregation, of our town. Every Sunday, including last one, he had a, a genuine smile for anyone who needed it. He listened. He liked to be right there with you, involved, listening, talking, teasing, joking, but, but genuinely caring about so many people. He loved this place. He loved these people. Victor was so simple. And... In so many ways, I just keep thinking about Matthew 18. The disciples come up to Jesus and they ask him like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, and Jesus calls a small child over to him. And he placed the child among the disciples and he said, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I have a complicated faith. I can't help it. It's the way my brain works. I dig in and I think and I unthink and I run myself in circles and I, my faith is anything but simple. Victor had an understanding of Jesus that I will never be able to comprehend. It was simple and beautiful and genuine and full of trust. You know, God's people are known by the way that they live and the way that they act. And you can see how Victor trusted God because of how he trusted people around him. He didn't look at people a second time. If you said something to him, he believed you. You could see it in the way he forgave people. So quick, so easy. You know, I pay their phone bill for them, and one day I, they gave me their phone bill at church, and I put it in my backpack, and it got stuck between pages in my sermon, and I, I, I didn't pay it. And uh, their, their cell phones got turned off. And uh, they called me on their house line and they said, hey, our cell phones aren't working. And I thought, yeah, you know, it's been a while since I paid a cell phone bill. And I had to, I had to, I had to call the company and make an immediate payment so that they could get their phones turned back on. And I called, called Victor back on his cell phone then and I just said, hey, that's all on me. I am really sorry about that. I'm sure that that was frustrating and inconvenient, But um, Victor's like, it's all right, works now. You know, it was, it's just that simple, it's that easy. See, when Jesus lifts up this child and puts him among the disciples, we often see a child as something of a bit of a weakness, honestly, because a child can't you know, take care of itself and feed itself or protect itself, but when Jesus picks this child up and puts him among the disciples, he elevates this child because he doesn't see weakness, he sees faithfulness and trust. See, so I, I, think, I think God gave us victor to show us something about ourselves. God gave us Victor to, to lead the way, to show us the kind of faith that we, we can have. We, we can have that kind of faith. Remember that, that God's word won't return void. If God's the potter and Victor was the clay, then God shaped Victor on purpose. You ever thought of that? He shaped him on purpose, exactly who he was, exactly the way he was. Nothing goes to waste in the economy of the kingdom. Victor could have done what many of us do. We could have gotten, he could have gotten caught up in, in spending his money on the things that don't give life, on focusing on the questions that are gonna circle him around and get him all confused. And he could, he could look at others in the congregation and grow jealous of the way that they've been gifted and the way that they've been shaped. You know, when we think of others as better than us, we become discouraged and depressed. When we think of ourselves as better than others, we become prideful and conceited. And either way, it takes you out of service and it robs you of your joy. You have to discover your shape. You have to accept it and enjoy it and develop your shape to its potential. And Victor just to me always seemed like he was okay with who he was, with exactly who he was. And I think he was more fully the image that Jesus was lifting up as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because Victor didn't get caught up in all the stuff that we could get caught up in. Victor was just Victor. And nothing, no experience is wasted in the economy of the kingdom. I think the biggest promise in Isaiah 55 is that God's word won't return void. When it goes out, it doesn't come back empty. The raindrop doesn't come back void. The snow doesn't come back void. The struggles that we have in our life, the the things that we go through, don't come back void. I don't know what the Spirit may or may not be doing with this sermon, but I, I know it won't come back void. I don't know what the spirit may or may not be doing during the worship set, but I know that the worship set doesn't come back void. I don't know what God was doing with a week that feels pretty rotten to me, but I know that it won't come back void, and I don't know what Jesus is doing with your last interaction with Victor, but I know that it won't come back void. And if if we really look hard, there's a pattern that we can clearly see that nothing is wasted. Nothing, not even the sin that we feel shame to think about, that even is not wasted. So I'm gonna bring this home this morning. And uh, I'm gonna share something about my first daughter this morning with you guys because one of the things that has been clear in this book that i've been reading has been an encouragement to share the difficult things because you never know how the difficult things are going to be used my daughter sage was born on november 9th 2012 and from the moment that she was born doctors knew that there was something wrong but they just thought she was having seizures and so we prayed our families prayed Our church prayed, many other churches and families prayed. People that we didn't know prayed. We prayed for a miracle. We prayed that there would be this moment that we would sit down with doctors in a room and they would bring us the test results and they would say, everything's okay and we can't really explain it. And then we would look at each other, Chris and I, and smile and we would know. That's because of prayer. It's because God gave us a miracle. On on November 16th, the doctors took us to a room and sat us down and had that meeting, but it didn't go the way that we had hoped it would go. They had discovered that she didn't have seizures, which was great news, but they discovered that she would remain comatose and on a ventilator and a feeding tube. She'd never breathe on her own, and she'd probably not uh, live to adulthood. During the time that my daughter was alive we kept a journal and so i wrote this right after we had that meeting we've been asking for a miracle we've been praying that god would step into this situation with our daughter and do a miraculous work some of us have specified that miracle putting in place a very particular request from our father some have just asked in general but all of us want to see God's will done. In the midst of these circumstances, I've been asking what is, oh, I'm sorry, I read the wrong page. Um, sorry, it's an earlier page here. This is the, here we go. Yeah. What do we do with this news? We cry and we mourn and we ask why. We get angry and we cry some more. And then when we get it out, we go back to God. Let's face it, those emotions are important to feel and they're important to get out and talk about. It takes some of us a moment to go through those things and others, it takes days to feel them. But those feelings can't do anything and at this point, neither can the doctors. They've made their prognosis. Now we are to wait and see what time will tell us. Why was the man born blind in the Bible so that God could use it later to glorify himself? Why did Jesus allow Lazarus to die so that when he was raised, the disciples could never doubt? For some of the hardest things, there was a reason. Sage is my daughter. It would seem that she's been given a difficult lot in life, one that will challenge us as parents and challenge our friends and family. This doesn't change that I know that God is good and that this sits well with my spirit. Rather than wait on emotions, time, or doctors, rather than wait on treatments, medicines, and technology, Carissa and I will wait on the Lord. Psalm 24 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. One of the things that I noticed in many of the biblical healings that I've been studying is the amount of people who begged for the Lord's touch. One miracle may be already that this baby has united so many people in prayer. I do believe that a miracle is at work, but it's not my job to know what that miracle may be. God knows my heart and what I want, but I'm old enough to know that God, whatever he wants, is far better than what I do. Tonight we'll rest tomorrow we'll go on begging the lord for his touch upon sage and so we prayed we prayed with our family and our church and our community and we we beat on the doors of heaven asking for a miracle of some kind we prayed that we would still have that moment in a waiting room where they would come in and tell us that everything was fine and we believed in a miracle and I'm telling you this, I'm reading this to you this morning because I I want you to consider the raindrop. I want you to consider not knowing what comes of anything. This is from December 3rd, the night before Sage passed away. You know that we've been asking for a miracle. We prayed that God would step into the situation and do a miraculous work. Some of us specified what that miracle would be. Some of us asked in general. In the midst of all these things, I've been asking, what is a miracle? Did Noah Webster get it right when he said it's a highly improbable or extraordinary event? And then I shared some stories that we had been told. Is it a miracle that a single baby has put hundreds of people on their knees in prayer? Is it a miracle when a young handicapped girl stands up on her bus to lead students in prayer for this baby and their family? Is it a miracle when a family that has little or no connection to faith has begun to pray, or when a young woman who lost her faith found it in prayer over this child? Is it a miracle that people, some we know and others we don't, around the world are united in prayer over the same thing? Is it a miracle that God, given medical expertise and technology not present 25 years ago, gave life to this baby for several weeks who may have not heard it otherwise? From an earthly perspective, I would have to answer yes. All these things are improbable, all of them extraordinary, all of them gifts given to us by God, all of them answers to our prayers. For those of us who've been praying for miraculous healing, it'd be easy and irresponsible of us to say that God didn't answer our prayers. For God is the potter, and we are the clay, and the clay cannot always understand what the potter intends or is actively doing. For God's ways are not our ways. So a physical healing may never have been the plan, but when I read the stories mentioned above, and there are so many more that I have not told and I cannot remember, I know that God has answered our prayers. I shared with you a a line, a lyric, from the cartoon version of the life of Moses called The Prince of Egypt, toward the beginning of this series. A single thread in a tapestry, though its color brightly shines, never knows its purpose in the pattern of the grand design. The raindrop never knows the plant that springs to life or the seed that comes to bread as it falls to nourish the earth. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. And so I read these words to you. Are you available to God anytime? Can he mess up your plans without you becoming resentful? As a servant, you don't get to pick and choose when or where you will serve. Being a servant means giving up the right to control your schedule and allowing God to interrupt it whenever he needs to. My friends, you may never see the results of your work. Nor should you need to. We each and only have to answer the call, the invitation put before us to try and discern our shape, live into our shape, where, when, and to whom God calls us to. Amen? Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, CanoyChurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.